You're listening to Qalam Institute's podcast. Visit us on the web at qalaminstitute.org and join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash qalaminstitute. Bismillahi walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Inshallah, we're continuing with our, seer, with our series on the seerah of the Prophet wasallam, the prophetic biography. Um, last couple of weeks, we discussed the birth of the Prophet wasallam and some of the events leading up to his birth, the circumstances of his birth. And we also talked about some of the miraculous events or occurrences that, were, that happened um, literally the night of the birth of the Prophet wasallam. There's a very interesting narration that's mentioned by Al-Hafidh Al-Iraqi, Rahimahullah, where he talks about Ranna Iblis, Arba'a Rannat. That there are four times, four occasions throughout history when Shaytan, he literally moaned and cried. The word Ranna or Ranin also comes from this. It doesn't just mean to cry or scream, but it means like when somebody really moans and cries, like wails. So there are four occasions throughout history on which Shaytan, he wailed and he cried. Like miserably, like a wild animal, um, he cried and he moaned and wailed. The first instance was when he was cursed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When the la'na was put upon shaitan, then he wailed and he cried in this manner. The second occasion was when he was cast down to the earth. This, the third occasion was the birth of the Prophet the Prophet says that the day that the Prophet was born. The fourth occasion, uh, the majority of the narrations actually mentioned that it was the day, the occasion on which Surah Al Fatiha was revealed. That shaitan wailed and cried in this manner when Surah Al Fatiha was revealed because of what a gift it was. One ver- variation of narration actually says, on the day that prophethood was given to the Prophet ﷺ, when that event and that occasion occurred, then that was the occasion. And yet Ibn Abbas has another narration in which he says that shaitan wailed and cried and um, moaned on the day that Fath Makkah, the conquest of Makkah, had finally occurred. Nevertheless, so this is a narration talking about that same incident. So, now moving on. So obviously we're now we're discussing the, infants, the infancy of the Prophet ﷺ. His, you know, his, uh, the stage of the Prophet ﷺ being an infant, a newborn baby. Now, one thing that has to be understood, obviously, I'm going to state the obvious here, that when a newborn child, when there's a newborn child, when there's an infant, of course, that child still requires sustenance, requires to be fed or to be nursed. And of course, that is done by the mother, right? A child, an infant has to be given milk, is only capable of drinking milk. And so more often than not, the child is breastfed, is fed by the mother. Well, at the same time, one thing that we have to understand is that you know, um, and even till today, this, this tradition con- uh, continues on till today, maybe in more rural areas or different parts of the world. But the mother is not the only one who feeds the child, who breastfeeds the child. But there might be other women, such as uh, other women within the family. All right. At the same time, sometimes there are uh, nurses, wet nurses. There are women who primarily serve this role, serve this purpose. They're kind of like nannies, where they not only take care of the child and you know watch the child, but part of their responsibility is to also nurse and feed the child. All right. So this is part of the tradition. This has always been around there. This this has always been around. This has always occurred. So the situation with the Prophet ﷺ was no different either. 
So of course the Prophet ﷺ, once he was born, he was fed by his mother. And that was actually, it's recorded within the books of Sirah, that the very first woman that he was fed by, nursed by, was his own mother, his own uh, biological mother, Amina, who we spoke about in detail. At the same time though, we're told in multiple narrations that the Prophet ﷺ was also nursed by, he was also fed by, breastfed by other women at the same time. And so it's very important for us to also understand who are these women and, and know a little bit about them. And I'll tell you exactly why that's important. It's not just a side detail. This is not like talking about somebody who randomly babysitted the Prophet ﷺ on a day, even though talking about the Messenger of Allah, I personally would feel that would still be very, that would be something I would like to still know. Because who are these people who he grew up around? Nevertheless, it's not just that simple because part of even the Islamic, this was part of the culture, the Arab culture at that time. And Islam came and not only maintained this, but established this and solidified this, that when a person, a child, has been nursed, has been breastfed by a woman, that establishes certain relations between the child and that woman. That woman then, وَأُمَّهَاتُكُمُ اللَّاتِ أَرْضَعْنَكُمْ in the ayah in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala establishes tahreem, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala establishes the maharim. Hurimat alaykum ummahatukum wa banatukum wa akhawatukum wa ammatukum wa khalatukum. Alright, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is for instance telling us that, you know, your mothers and your sisters and your daughters and your maternal and paternal aunts, etc, etc, other categories as well. That these women are, it is forbidden for you to marry them. They are your maharim now. It is forbidden for you to marry them and there are some other implications and there are some other commandments that come about as a result and as a consequence of that such as the boundaries of hijab uh, and, and other situations as well. Well, one of those categories and one of those types of women that are mentioned here in this list is وَأُمَّهَاتُكُمُ اللَّاتِ أَرْضَعْنَكُمْ Those mothers of yours, Allah refers to them as your mothers who breastfed you, who nursed you, who fed you milk. All right, those women also become your mothers. All right, and, and establishes relations very similar, parallel to blood relations. It's not as deep as blood relations. It's not by a biological relation. All right, for instance, they, they don't hold the same level and the same status when it comes to inheritance and other things because those are established primarily through blood relations. Nevertheless, at the same time, it does establish relations. And so when a man, a boy, a child, and he grows up to be a man, when he was nursed or he was breastfed by a woman, that is basically like, that is his milk mother. That is his rada'i um. Um rada'i, that is his milk mother. And just like his own mother, he can't marry her, he has a certain relationship with her. He also has a relationship with her, she is his milk mother and he will never, it's not possible for him to marry this woman. And if she has children, she has a daughter, he can't marry her daughter. So even though he was nursed by this woman, and she has a biological daughter, he can't marry that girl. Because that's his sister. That establishes that level of relation. Alright, so it's very important. So these women who nursed or breastfed the Prophet ﷺ, they're very important. These were the other, these were the milk mothers of the Prophet ﷺ. So they definitely are very, very important. Uh, and it's important for us to get to know them. So one of the first women who 
um, one of the women who actually nursed the Prophet um, there's actually another woman who nursed the Prophet before her. We'll talk about her second though. Um, the, one of the women who nursed the Prophet and she went on to play a very important role in his life. Um, we'll be talking more about her. Again, I don't want to get ahead of myself when talking about the seerah. It's very important not to go way too far ahead um, and discuss other incidents. But she was somebody who continued to be a very important person throughout the life of the Prophet ﷺ. Just to give you a little bit of a glimpse and an understanding of how vital and important she was to the Messenger of Allah ﷺ, that when the Prophet ﷺ was traveling with his mother, and it was the journey on which the mother of the Prophet ﷺ actually passed away, the third person with them on that journey was the same woman. And she was actually the one who after the mother of the Prophet ﷺ was buried, she was the one who brought the Prophet ﷺ back home to Mecca and handed him over to his grandfather, Abdul Muttalib. So she was somebody who was very important to the Prophet ﷺ. Her name was Baraka, like Baraka, blessing, the word Baraka that we know. And she is more famously known as Ummu Ayman. So when you hear that name, it might ring a bell, Ummu Ayman, but her name was actually Baraka. And this woman Baraka, Ummu Ayman, she was actually... A, she was actually a Habashi woman, so she was uh, from East Africa, and she was the she was a slave um, previously, and it's mentioned that she was uh, originally owned by Abdul Muttalib, the grandfather of the Prophet ﷺ, who had given her to his son Abdullah, and of course when Abdullah. The father of the Prophet ﷺ passed away, then she came into the possession of his mother Amina, and that's why she was in their home, and she nursed the Prophet ﷺ. Later on, the Prophet ﷺ inherited her from his mother, of course, as well. And when the Prophet ﷺ became married to Khadija ﷺ at the age of 25, which we'll talk about later, he freed her at that time. He freed her at that time, and she became a free woman, but she be remained very, very close to the Prophet ﷺ. So even though she was free, but nevertheless she maintained a very close relationship, personal relationship to the Prophet ﷺ. She was one of his milk mothers. Not only that, but she literally held that type of a position and a status in the life of the Prophet ﷺ, where this was an older woman in the life of the Prophet ﷺ, and he, she was very near and dear to his heart and used to look up to her, and he remained very close to her throughout his life. In fact, it's even mentioned in certain narrations that the Prophet of Allah وسلم, used to literally call out to her as Ya Um. When he would speak to her, he would, he would literally call her Ya Um. O oh Mother. And the Prophet would very fondly, very uh, pleasantly speak about her. And, and whenever he would allude to her, he would be talking about her to somebody else and to other people. He would often say, هَذِهِ بَقِيَّةُ أَهْلِ بَيْتِ She is all that is left of my family. She is all that is left of my family. And so she was very, very near and dear to him. And he had a lot of love for her. And he always used to keep her very, very close to him. And... So she, of course, went on to accept Islam and accepted the message of the Prophet ﷺ once prophethood and revelation came. And she performed the hijrah 
She performed the Hijrah. She was one of the early people who left Mecca and went to Abyssinia, went to East Africa. Later on, of course, she joined the Prophet ﷺ in Medina. Not only that, but it is also mentioned about her that she accompanied the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims onto the battlefield in a few of the battles. So from her manaqib and from her fadail, it is said that Wali Ummi Ayman, Hijrah wa Jihad. All right, that she was able to perform the migration and she even participated in some of the ghazawat and the battles and she accompanied them out there to serve water, to take care of some of the injured. Along with that, she also had her own son whose name was Ayman. This was from her, one of her previous marriages. At the time when the Prophet freed her, she became married and her husband had also accepted Islam when the message came and she had a son from that first marriage whose name was Ayman. And um, Ayman radiallahu anhu was also a believer. He also performed the hijrah and the migration with his mother. And he also participated in some of the ghazawat and some of the battles. Her first husband, of course, he was martyred in uh, one of the battles. And at that time, she, you know, was single. She was not married at that point. She had her son Ayman. And the Prophet ﷺ one time proposed, he put this proposition out there and he said, that man sarrahu an yatazawwaja imra'atan min ahli al-jannah falyatazawwaj umma ayman that whoever would like to marry a woman from the people of paradise that person should propose to ummu ayman that if somebody wants to marry a jannati woman he will marry ummu ayman and of course at that time the adopted son of the prophet sallallahu zayd bin haritha all right, and we know for a fact that in the Quran, this was a young boy, a child, a young man, whom the Prophet originally owned as a slave, and then he freed him when he chose. Um, again, inshallah, we'll get there and we'll talk about it. But Zayd bin Haritha radiallahu anhu was kidnapped and was taken into slavery. He eventually was bought from the slave market by Khadija radiallahu anha, and she gifted him to the Prophet at the time of their marriage. And later on when Islam came, Zayd radiallahu anhu accepted Islam. And later on, the father of Zayd radiallahu anhu, who was a leader of his tribe and had been looking for him for literally for years. And there's a very beautiful story, a very touching story that the father of Zayd radiallahu anhu, Haritha, he would oftentimes go outside of his village, his town, and he would recite poetry. He would go out there at the time when the sun would set. And he would watch the sun setting and he would recite couplets of poetry speaking about the, you know, the love and how he longed and how much he missed his son Zayd, and he had been looking for him. Subhanallah, it just reminds me, you know, maybe somebody has seen online or it's, it's being circulated around on Facebook, a, a young Muslim sister of ours has gone missing. Um, sister Aisha Khan, she went missing, I think about a few days ago from her campus in Kansas. And um, today, I, w I saw a video on YouTube uh, where they were interviewing her father and he had not spoken to the media and the press and literally this man was physically incapable of speaking. Every single time he opened his mouth just simply saying please try to find her and look for her, all he would do is cry and sob. Uncontrollably sobbing and crying. So the father of Zayd radiallahu anhu used to go out there and look for his son and he would cry and long for his son. He eventually found out the news that, you know, I think we saw your son with that man who is claimed prophethood in Mecca. So he comes to Mecca, ready to pay whatever it takes to free his son and take his son back. 
And so the Prophet says, of course, if he's your son, then sure. When Zayd radiallahu anhu is brought out and reunited with his father, Zayd radiallahu anhu actually says that, you know, I'm really happy to see you and meet you again, but I actually would like to stay with Muhammad sallallahu I'd like to stay with him. He's the messenger and the prophet of Allah. This man has treated me like a family member. I have no complaints. And on top of that, he's a messenger of Allah. And I believe in him as a messenger of Allah. So I want to stay here with him. And the Prophet was so touched. And to put the father's you know, concerns at rest and to let him know that, look, your son wants to say, but to let you know that he'll be taken care of, the Prophet actually embraced him and said, from here on you're freed. And not only that, but you will be my son. I take you in as my son. But later on we know that from the Qur'anic conjunction that um, adoption did not establish those types of relationships like for instance breastfeeding would. That by taking somebody in and taking care of them, there's nothing wrong. So adoption as a concept of taking, taking an orphan into your care, that remains something that is very admirable. But it would not establish family relations. It would not establish family relations. Because what people used to do was they used to actually refer to Zayd radiallahu anhu as Zayd bin Muhammad. They used to refer to him as Zayd bin Muhammad. So that was, was forbidden. Rather he went back to being called Zayd bin Muhammad. Excuse me, Zayd bin Haritha. He went back to being called Zayd the son of Haritha. Because that was his father's name, not Zayd bin Muhammad. And subhanAllah, there's even a story about how he was very saddened by this. He was very saddened by this. So then later on, then he used to be referred to as Zayd Mawla Rasulillah. Zayd Mawla Rasulillah. Zayd, the one who is affiliated with the Prophet because he was a freed slave of the Prophet Nevertheless, so Zayd radiallahu anhu, who the Prophet had taken care of, but of course there was no family blood relationship there. So when the Prophet says that Ummu Ayman, his milk mother, that this is such a virtuous woman, a pious woman, a righteous woman, and whoever wants to marry a woman of paradise will marry Ummu Ayman, Barakah radiallahu anha, that Zayd radiallahu anhu steps up and he tells the Prophet that I would like to marry Ummu Ayman. And he of course became married to Ummu Ayman, and they had a son by the name of Usama ibn Zayd. Usama, the son of Zayd radiallahu anhuma. And Usama radiallahu anhu used to actually be known as Hibbu Rasulillah. Usama, Hibbu Rasulillah. Hib coming from Hub, from Muhabba, from love, because he was basically called Usama, the beloved of the Prophet. Because he was basically like a brother of the Prophet at this point. And he was the son of the man whom the Prophet had raised and literally taken care of. So there were so many relationships here that Usama radiallahu was very beloved to the Prophet One time the Prophet walked by and Zayd radiallahu anhu and his son Usama radiallahu anhu, also the son of Ummu Ayman, the milk mother of the Prophet Zayd and Usama radiallahu anhu were lying down and they were sleeping actually in the masjid. They were lying down and sleeping in the masjid. And the Prophet saw them lying there just resting, taking some rest and sleeping. And the Prophet said that, that I swear by Allah, I love both of them. And, and then he said, oh Allah, I want you to love both, both of them. And one time he, said, he saw both of them sitting there and he said, I swear by Allah, I feel so much love and mercy and compassion for both of them. Allah have mercy and compassion upon both of them. 
So these were some people that were very special to the Prophet ﷺ and he loved them very, very dearly. These were like some of the family members of the Prophet ﷺ. They were literally family to him. And he loved them very, very dearly and deeply. So Ummu Ayman, she of course, um, so talking about her, she was one of the women who nursed the Prophet ﷺ. She was an African slave. She was freed later on by the Prophet ﷺ. And she was like a mother to the Prophet ﷺ. And she actually was his milk mother. And later on became married to Zayd anhu. It said that when the Prophet ﷺ passed away, she was found crying, uncontrollably crying. She was very deeply sad and she was crying. But very interestingly, she was very knowledgeable, she was very spiritual, she was very um, deep, she was very thoughtful. And so she was asked, فَقِيلَ لَهَا أَتَبْكِينَ يَا أُمَّ أَيْمَنْ You cry, O Mu Ayman. She said, وَاللَّهِ لَقَدْ عَلِمْتُ أَنَّهُ سَيَمُوتُ She said, I swear by Allah, I knew he was going to pass away. The Qur'an that was being revealed, the way he was speaking to people. She said, I knew, I raised him. I knew him. I could completely tell he was going to be passing away soon. I knew he was going to die. This is not a shock. This is not like a, you know, it's sadness, but it's not a shock to me. I knew he was going to die. She said, rather, I cry because it just hit me. I just realized that divine revelation will no longer come down from the sky. We as a people, we as humanity, we as an ummah will no longer directly experience the revelation coming down directly from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's what makes me cry. That that era of wahi, the era of revelation has come to an end. And so this is, tells you a little bit about how profound and how intelligent that uh, Ummu Ayman was. It said that the Prophet sallallahu left some things for her. And um, the Prophet ﷺ, before he passed away, he gave certain gifts to her. He gave her about five camels, and he gave her a few other th basic things. The Prophet ﷺ didn't have much himself in terms of material things when he passed away. But nevertheless, out of the little bit that he had, he gifted some things to her, and he gave her certain things before the Prophet ﷺ passed away. And it said that Ummu Ayman, there's a very interesting narration that is mentioned about her um, that says that one time she was fasting uh, while she was traveling and she became extremely thirsty, extremely thirsty. And she literally got to the point where, and actually this, it's also mentioned that this is talking about the incident of Hijrah because it said about Ummu Ayman that she migrated from uh, Mecca to Medina by herself on her own and it said that she did it on foot and she literally did not have any provision she didn't have anything with her and she migrated in this in this way in this shape in this manner and it said that while she was migrating she became so thirsty that she literally thought that she would die from thirst and at that time she saw that she was lying underneath a tree she was lying underneath a tree and she literally thought that she was going to die. She was going to pass away from thirst. And it said that a bucket literally came down from above her and it had water in it. She drank from the bucket, from the water in that bucket. And this was a miracle. And she drank from the water in that bucket and she says that, I swear to God, for the rest of my life, whenever I drank water, I drank for just because I felt like it. I drank just to enjoy it or to just... Um, drink for the sake of drinking water but she said for the rest of my life I never felt thirsty ever again 
So these are one of the miracles that occurred with Ummu Ayman. So she was a very blessed woman and it said that she died, she passed away about 20 days after the uh, death of Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu. So she passed away about 20 days after the death of Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu. Um, so she died during the Khilaf of Uthman radiallahu anhu and she of course died of old age and natural causes. So this is the story of Ummu Ayman, one of the women who nursed the Prophet ﷺ and a woman who literally was like a mother to the Prophet ﷺ and she raised him. Another woman who nursed the Prophet ﷺ, her name was Thuwayba. Her name was Thuwayba. And also some very interesting um, incidents or stories about this particular woman as well. That it said that she was the, she was a slave girl who was owned by Abu Lahab. She was a slave girl that was owned by Abu Lahab. And when the Prophet ﷺ was born, she actually came running to Abu Lahab to let him know that, you know, you have a nephew, your nephew has been born. Because remember, the father of the Prophet ﷺ, Abdullah, he had passed away, he was the youngest brother, the youngest sibling of uh, the youngest brother rather of Abu Lahab. And so everybody was anticipating, all the family members like Abu Talib and Abbas and Hamza and Abu Lahab and of course the grandfather Abdul Muttalib. Everybody was anticipating the birth of the child because they were so saddened by the loss and the death, the this very sudden tragic death of Abdullah, this very young bright member of their family that they were all anticipating the birth of his child. So she comes running to Abu Lahab to tell him that you know your, your brother's son Abdullah's son has, just has been born just right now. And Abu Lahab, when he heard the news that this child has come into this world and my, my brother's son is born, he was so overjoyed and he was so happy that literally on the spot he told her that you are free. He freed her on the spot. Which also kind of tells you a little bit about Abu Lahab that how you know, interesting his change of heart was. That this was a man who was so overjoyed by the birth of the Prophet and he was such a family type of person, he was so committed to the family, that just by hearing that his nephew was born and his dead brother's son was born, that he was so overjoyed that he literally freed the slave girl who brought him this news. Alright, but nevertheless she was freed. She, because she was in the family and she was the slave girl of, of Abu Lahab, she had nursed um, Hamza radiallahu anhu as well. So the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, Hamza, was also the, blood, was also the milk brother of the Prophet ﷺ. Alright, and that's also one of the reasons why he was so near and dear to the Prophet ﷺ. And so she had also nursed Hamza anhu as well. So she was freed at that time, but nevertheless she still remained close to the family and the Khandan, the extended family. And she kind of remained um, in service to the family. And so she ended up nursing the Prophet ﷺ, and it's actually said that after the mother of the Prophet ﷺ, she was the first woman to nurse the Prophet ﷺ. So she also nursed the Prophet ﷺ, and um, she had her, she her son, so herself had a son by the name of Masruh, and she had also nursed Hamza, the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, and she had also nursed Abu Salima. Abu Salima, she had also nursed him. Alright, and I'll tell you a little bit about this in just a little bit, inshallah. So, it said about Thuwayba, radiallahu anha, 
that she also later on ended up uh, accepting Islam. And it said that she nursed the Prophet ﷺ for about four months. But it said that she also later on, of course, when the Prophet ﷺ received his message and he became a prophet, she ended up accepting Islam. And the Prophet ﷺ would regularly send gifts for her. Throughout the rest of his life, he would always send gifts for her. He would go and visit her. He used to, you know, when he, when he had his own children, he took his children to introduce his children to Thuwayba, radiallahu anha. And he told all of his children that this is one of my mothers. She also fed me when I was a baby, when I was a child. And it said that Khadija, radiallahu anha, the wife of the Prophet used to honor her, used to visit her, used to send gifts for her. So they treated her like family. They treated her like family. She was also treated like as the mother of the Prophet would be treated. And it said that she ended up dying. She ended up passing away the seventh year of Hijrah. After the battle of Khaybar. And her son Masru had actually died even before that. But she accepted Islam. And she ended up believing in the message of the Prophet And she actually died after the battle of Khaybar in the seventh year of Hijrah. So that's a little bit of detail about her. And there's actually another story, another incident in which she's mentioned, in which the daughter of Abu Sufyan, Ummu Habiba, who was the daughter of Abu Sufyan, and she was one of the wives of the Prophet She is one of the Ummahatul Mu'minin, the Azwaj Al-Azwaj Al-Mutahara. She's one of the wives of the Prophet She actually gave a proposal uh, to the Prophet one time, so from, from this narration, it's an extended narration, so I'll share the whole narration with you. Um, she offered a proposal to the Prophet ﷺ one time to marry her sister, Azza bint Abi Sufyan. She said, why don't you marry my sister? Because, you know, obviously I have the honor and the distinction and the, 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 the blessing of being one of your wives. And I learned so much and I benefit from so much. So why don't you take my sister as a wife as well? and marry her as well, so she can also share in this blessing. The Prophet Wasallam, uh, and she actually, another narration says she kind of, you know, pleaded her case. She was like, you know, I won't be jealous, I won't have a problem with it, I would want my sister to benefit from this. The Prophet Wasallam said, this is not permissible. He said, don't, don't make this type of an offer to me, this is not permissible. And she said, really, I only, she said, I meant no offense, O Messenger of Allah. I didn't mean to bother you. I didn't mean to offend you. I only offered this because we've been talking, right? There's, we've been having discussions like, like it happens in any family. She said, we've been kind of like talking that we thought that you were thinking about marrying the daughter of Abu Salima, right? We've been, we thought that, you, that you've been thinking about marrying the daughter of Abu Salima. And the Prophet ﷺ said that, you mean the daughter of Ummu Salima? Who was also one of the wives of the Prophet One of the other wives of the Prophet who was Ummu Salima. He says, when you say the daughter of Abu Salima, do you mean the daughter of Ummu Salima? Because Abu and Ummu Salima, of course, you know, they had, a, they had a child by the name of Salima. 
they were a couple who had accepted Islam. When they accepted Islam and they, um, they were literally torn apart by their families and um, they were all completely separated and later on they were able to be reunited. But then Abu Salima passed away and Abu Salima was very, very sad. It said actually one of the most amazing stories about a very loving couple, like one of those famous romantic stories that's told from you know, the Sahaba radiallahu anhum in that early generation was Abu and Umu Salima. That when they were completely torn apart and separated by their families because they had accepted Islam, they had become Muslims, they used to long to meet each other and they would write poetry for each other, they would send letters through each other, and when they were reunited, they were deeply in love. So when Abu Salima finally passed away, Umu Salima was deeply saddened. And it was very, very tragic for her. And after some time, the Prophet ﷺ actually proposed to her and married her. And then of course, not only took care of her, but took care of her children. So she's now one of the wives of the Prophet ﷺ. So when she says that, we, we thought, we've been having some discussions. We were kind of whispering to each other. We thought you wanted to, you were gonna eventually marry the daughter of Abu Salima. He says, so you mean the daughter of Ummu Salima, one of my wives? She said, yes. The Prophet ﷺ said, that's impossible. I could never marry the daughter of, of, of Umm Salima for two reasons, not just one, but two reasons. Innaha law lam takun rabibati fi fi hajri mahalatli. She said first of he said first of all I can't marry her because she is a child of one of my wives, and the, of course this is also mentioned there. Warabaibukumulati, right? Uh, that one of the, if, if you have a child, if there is a child of one of the women that you have married, then you cannot marry that, that, that girl. So if a man is married to a woman, and that woman has a daughter from a previous marriage, he can no longer marry her daughter. He cannot marry her daughter. Alright, because he is married to her mother. He cannot marry her daughter. So he said, first of all, I cannot marry the daughter of Ummu Salima because... Her mother is my wife, all right? So I can't marry her, I've taken care of her. She's my, you know, kind of like my stepdaughter. And so I can't marry her, it's not permissible. He said, but even if that was not the case, I still couldn't marry her. Mahalatli, I still couldn't marry her. Why? Because she's my niece. She's my niece through milk. Because her father, Abu Salima, and I were nursed by the same woman. Arda'atni wa Aba Salima Thuwayba radiallahu anha. That both myself and Abu Salima, her biological father, were nursed by Thuwayba. She was both of our milk mothers. Fala ta'aridna alayya banatikunna wala akhwatikun. Alright, and it's actually mentioned that, and then the Prophet actually goes on to say, alright, and from here on out, ground rule. From here on out, we have a rule. He said, I don't want you to bring to me proposals of your daughters and your sisters anymore. <laughs> Alright, so no more, don't bring me these proposals anymore. They're not allowed, they're not permissible, don't do it. Alright? And, SubhanAllah, it said, um, so I also told you about how Thuwayba, the milk mother of the Prophet ﷺ, she was originally owned by Abu Lahab, and she was actually freed by Abu Lahab when she brought him the news of the birth of the Prophet ﷺ. It's actually mentioned in the narration uh, that Abu Lahab, um, Abu Lahab was seen by 
some people, some of his family members, and it's actually in another narration it's mentioned, he was specifically seen by Abbas, his brother, radiallahu anhu. So Abbas radiallahu anhu saw Abu Lahab in a dream later on, much, much later on. And he asked him, he goes, what happened with you? What transpired with you? Meaning after death, what, what, what came of you? What became of you? Abu Lahab told him, لَمْ أَلْقَ بَعْدَكُمْ خَيْرًا I have not seen, I have not experienced anything good since I left the world. Meaning I've been, I've been, uh, a lot of punishment has been afflicted upon me because of what I did. I opposed the message, I opposed the Qur'an, I opposed Muhammad And so I've seen nothing but punishment and um, you know, shar, bad things since I died. He said, غَيْرَ أَنِّي سُقِيتُ فِي هَذِهِ بِعَتَاقَتِي ثُوَيْبَ He says, there's only one thing though. And another narration actually says, إِنَّهُ لَيُخَفَّفُ عَلَيْكَ فِي مِثْلِ يَوْمِ الْإِثْنَيْنِ He said, I've been punished non-stop since I left the world because of my opposition to the message of Allah. He said, except that every Monday, I'm given a break from punishment. Every Monday, I'm given a break from punishment. Why? Because on Monday, when the Prophet ﷺ, when Muhammad Rasulullah was born, and Thuwayba brought me the news of the birth of the Prophet ﷺ, I freed her. And so because of that one good deed that I did, and later on she went on to nurse the Prophet ﷺ and become one of his milk mothers, and she was somebody very near and dear to Muhammad Rasulullah and I did a good deed, I did a kind thing to her, and I showed some respect to the Prophet on the day that he was born. Because of that, every Monday I'm given a break from my punishment. SubhanAllah. So this is just a little bit of detail about uh, two of the women who nursed and who breastfed the Prophet and who were two of the mothers, the milk mothers of the Prophet Ummu Ayman, who was a very important person to the Prophet and Thuwayba radiallahu anhumah. And inshallah, of course, there are other women as well that are mentioned uh, from the women who nursed the Prophet and of course, one of the more well-known, commonly you know, discussed women who uh, nursed the Prophet ﷺ was of course Halima, as, and as she's very endearingly remembered and referred to as Halima Sa'diya, the very uh, blessed woman by the name of Halima radiallahu anha. So inshallah, we will talk more about her um, in the in next week's session, inshallah, in the coming sessions, we'll talk about Halima radiallahu anha, and we'll talk about how the Prophet sallallahu came to be in her care, and some of the experiences that the Prophet sallallahu had while he was in her care, and how she ended up also having a very profound impact upon the Prophet sallallahu and she was somebody who was very near and dear to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu throughout the rest of his life. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi subhanakallahu wa bihamdik nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilaik